you humbly say that you share books on the internet. I share and books then on the internet. When they find you, they see. <laughs> I'm in it, man. I'm in uh-huh. it. I'm somebody. I'm somebody. Welcome to Book Talk, Etc., a podcast bound to grow your TBR. I'm Tina. And I'm Renee. And this is a conversational podcast about books and more from two Midwest mood readers who are easily distracted by new releases. And today, we're talking about the new releases that we were recently distracted by. If you enjoy listening, we'd love for you to follow us on Apple Podcasts or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have a minute, please consider leaving us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or sharing us on social media. All of this truly helps other book lovers find us. Hey, everyone. Before we begin, we wanted to take the time to invite you to join us on Patreon. Our Patreon group is such a wonderful community, and we're so excited to bring you even more great content in 2023. Joining our Patreons not only a great way to interact with us on a deeper level, but you get to connect with other readers. And it's so fun to see these conversations happening. And it's only $5 a month. And with that, you get access to everything we have created as bonuses since we had our Patreon, as well as anything we'll create in the future as long as you're a member. We just announced our February lineup, so you can expect a new episode of Criminally Booked, where we pair a true crime story with crime fiction recommendations. Our February, What's in the Mailbag, where we share the books that have made their way into our homes recently. And our live event, which I think is going to be a good one. It's a book club discussion about Spare by Prince Harry. I also wanted to plug our weekly newsletter. Renee does such a good job with our newsletter. She finds amazing links shares things that are in the news when it comes to books and reading. And we give you a list of the following week's new releases. So if you're interested in our exclusive bonus content, head to patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Or look for the link in our show notes. And thank you so much for your support. Hi, Renee. Hi. Thank you for that. I love doing the newsletter. Oh my God, you're so good. I'm like, how in God's green earth do you find these links? Like what? (laughs) You know, I just, it's so, it's like a pleasant surprise for me too to get it in my inbox. Well, you know, I've said it before and I love doing research. I take time to see what people in our Discord and Facebook are talking about. And then I may do, I might do some research to see if there's any links or articles that would be interesting based on what people are talking about and interested in. And then I just, you know, kind of go from there. But yeah, I do. I do love a good research afternoon or whatever, mm-hmm. but I want to put in a plug for our recent DNF episode. So oh, yeah. you and I recently shared 16 books that we didn't finish with yeah. the reasons why. <laughs> so if anyone is really interested in the books that don't make it anywhere, out, like we don't share them anywhere except in that episode. So that alone is uh, worth $5, I think. <laughs> Yeah. And they're so fun to record. And I've always said I like getting credit for like, because I hate, I don't like DNFing. I mean, I don't think anyone loves it, but I I especially, I'm like, I spent 20%. This is annoying. Mm -hmm. And now I'm like, but at least I get to bring it to the the show, to the DNF episode. We usually do those about three or four times a year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm going to tell you about my loving lately. And this is a shampoo. <laughs> I've never oh, okay. told you about my favorite shampoo. And it's called, it's by the brand Redken. 
and it's their All Soft brand. So we went to Florida last month and I did not bring my Redken with me. I just brought whatever shampoo I forget was our travel kind. And I was like, oh my God, I notice immediately Mm -hmm. when I'm not using it. So I have hair that tangles really easily and it's hard to brush out after a shower. So I recently ran out of my Redken, switched to a cheaper brand. And like, again, I was like, nope, mm -mm, can't do it. I have to splurge and get my good stuff. So the thing that is, I like the whole Redken brand, but specifically all soft is in the name. It makes your hair really soft. It does a really good job of cleaning your hair, but it leaves it soft and silky. And it's very shiny when you're done washing it. But what I like the most is that it's a rich formula. So of course I need the shampoo and conditioner, but it does not weigh your hair down. Like when I was in Florida, I could not get this stuff to like wash out. I'm like, am I losing my mind? Did I forget to rinse? (laughs) Like, why is it not working? And it was just heavier. It just was like heavy. So this stuff is thick, but it doesn't weigh your hair down. Now it's pricey. I get mine from Ulta and Ulta usually has a jumbo sale at the end of each year. So like December, January, I splurge and get their jumbo sizes, but you know, do your research. I think it's worth it. I usually buy the jumbos about twice a year ish. So they last, but you know, I'm not like the most kind of wash my hair all the, all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, but anyhow, if you're looking (laughs) for, (laughs) if you're looking for a shampoo that is really, really nice, it's my Redken all soft shampoo. Okay. Yeah, you are exactly right. I don't know if it if it's the same for everyone, but for those who have dry, coarse hair, which is me, I tried switching up my shampoo to something like less expensive or mm-hmm. just, I don't know, it was random. And I noticed a huge difference. My hair, I have to, I have to, have to, have to have a moisturizing, deeply yeah. moisturizing shampoo. Yeah. Or I just, yeah, I notice a big difference. So it's something that you're like, gosh, I hate to spend that on shampoo, but then yeah, it does it's, make a difference. It does make a difference. And I could, it, I can tell right away. I'm like, dang it. <laughs> I thought maybe I was just like, <laughs> I like it, but maybe there's a substitute. I'm like, no, I'm going to just go for what I like. <laughs> All right. My loving lately, I have been enjoying so much. I treated myself, but actually the deal I got is a total steal. And what I treated myself to is a digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Oh. Yes. And I'll tell you why I ended up doing this. So Vanity Fair is a magazine and the offer that I got, their winter sale, which is on right now, one year of Vanity Fair for $8 plus a free Vanity Fair tote bag. Um, Hello, $8. That includes print copies being sent to your house too. So for $8 for the year, I get unlimited access to VanityFair.com, the entire website, which has so many good articles, the digital magazine, their complete archive, plus print magazines. So the reason I ended up deciding to get this was because there was an article that I came across that I wanted to read, and it was called, Tina, you're going to want to read this too. It was called, The Bachelor is Officially on Life Support. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then the tag, the tagline was, Zach Shalcross's snoozy debut as the leading man did nothing to quell fears about this franchise's future or incentivize viewers to stay tuned for even another week. Well, I was like, I need to read this. And in order to do that, I had you have to have a subscription. Although they do give you one free article. 
But I think I'd obviously already used that. So anyway, I am enjoying it because I love reading about pop culture. I love world news. I love to read about movies and famous people. And even there's book reviews here and there. All of that is within VanityFair.com and their digital magazine. So also, if we want these types of articles in journalism to stay around, we have to support the writers doing the writing of these these articles. So I I would have paid more, but $8, oh my gosh. And then within Vanity Fair, you can also sign up for the weekly newsletters. So you have to be a subscriber to sign up. So I so far, I've signed up for one called Cocktail Hour. So every Thursday, I get that newsletter, and it's their essential daily brief on culture, news, and style. Ooh. So I like—I don't know—I like it's like an extra treat in my inbox. And there's a bunch, there's others too. So I am—I'm enjoying it. This is a a great gift to myself. It's a digital subscription to Vanity Fair. That is a good price, though. I mean, eight bucks. What? Eight dollars? Yeah, I know. You can't Did- really. You can't beat it. Did you say you also get physical copies mailed with that mm-hmm. for the year? For the year, I Why? know it's insane. That feels, <laughs> that feels I wrong. Know. It's very right. excessive. I see it's excessive. I was when I pulled it up because I was I I was I was like I don't even remember what I paid for this actually. So I want to pull up so I'd be able to tell the listeners how much the subscription was. And I saw I was like eight dollars. I didn't even. <laughs> Because I got it in at the beginning of January, uh-huh. and it's still eight dollars. So it must. It says it's their winter sale. But yeah, I've also started getting print copies, which I don't actually haven't really sat down to read. So I mean, I'm happy with just the digital subscription. Wow. Okay. Well, good. Good. Fine. I never would have thought about that. But you're mm-hmm. right. You have to. You know, if you want this type of journalism to stick around, you gotta. You gotta be a paying subscriber sometimes. Right. I don't know if you've noticed. I, I think I probably notice more because I'm doing all of the online research. A lot of the articles out there you cannot access, mm-hmm. especially New York Times, and yeah. without being a subscriber. Yep. Yep. I know we can gift links. Like you can like, if we wanted to include it in our newsletter, at least with the New York Times, you can Mm -hmm. get the link, um, but you can only get so many of those a year. You can only get so many. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean. It does. It does. Creators, writers need to be supported. That's right. All right. My latest read was The Last White Man by Mohsin Ahmed. And I have always wanted to read this author. And the premise of this one really intrigued me. So one morning, a man wakes up to find himself transformed overnight. Anders' skin has turned dark. He was a white man, and he wakes up with fully dark skin. And the reflection in the mirror is not like anything he recognizes. And so he's freaked out, naturally. And he lives alone, so he's like, oh my God, what do I do? What's happening here? But he shares his secret with Una, who is his old friend, turned new lover. And he like basically is like, look what happened, what's going on. But then soon reports of similar events keep happening to other people. They're also awakening with new skin, uncertain with how their neighbors, friends, and family will greet them. And some see the transformations as this long dreaded overturning of the established order. And some are feeling this sense of loss and unease because you have some people that are pretty racist that are now waking up Mm -hmm. to find that they too have black skin. And it's 
fascinating, very uncomfortable in sections because you're getting presented with some of these awful thoughts that people are having, but also fascinating. And Anders and Una are a great center couple to kind of focus this whole narrative around. And you come to know more and more about them and see what's happening in society as more people go through this transformation. I loved the concept. The concept was excellent. I really liked Anders and Una as a couple, and I liked their relationship with their parents because their parents each have some pretty extreme viewpoints. It was interesting to see Anders go through this internal reckoning of what he sees and what he knows and like what this means for him. I thought this book was pretty ambitious, but it was pretty captivating, like ambitious in that this is a huge premise and the author could have made this 500 pages, but instead it's 180 pages. So it's really, really thin, but he like packs a lot into it. This was nominated for the Booker Prize, I believe, which is kind of how I got it on my radar. But I thought it was quite readable for something so literary. I don't always say that. (laughs) (laughs) I could have stayed in this world a little bit more. Um, And if you're one reader who wants to know like why this is happening, you're not going to get that. You kind of just have to accept, don't worry about it. This is what's happening. Mm -hmm. But I thought the story was very original, very thought-provoking, and pretty fast-paced. I did the audio, and I liked the audio. I thought it was a good reading experience. So you want to read something that's a little bit different, almost a little bit more literary sci-fi, I would say give this a shot. It was The Last White Man by Mohsin Hamid. Okay. Yes. I I do remember the premise of that. I didn't when you first said the title, but once you started talking about it, would you say that's kind of like a take on the concept of walking in someone else's shoes. Yeah, a little bit, because you're watching this happen. Like, Anders seems to be kind of one of the very first that this happens to. And it was interesting to see, he's still, you know, he's living his life. He goes to work and, like, is starting to say, oh, like, people are treating him differently. He's Mm -hmm. starting to just, like, interact with other actual people of color that were born, you know, with darker skin. He's looking at how he previously had interacted with them. It was very interesting. I thought the author did a really good job with it. It was it it was it was a good read. Okay, good. My latest read I loved. It's called The Good Life: Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz. Have you heard of this one, Tina? It's a new release. Yeah, I think you brought it to the mailbag. If I'm not mistaken, is it a green oh. book? No, it's yellow. It's, it's okay. white with yellow. Okay, then this is different. I did listen to this one. It's pretty short. It's 350 pages. Now, I debated about telling you the full details of the of the synopsis, and I don't think there's a way around it. It's not. It's going to sound like I'm spoiling it, but I'm not because there's no other way to talk about this book. So, what they're looking at in this in this book is what makes for a happy life, a fulfilling life, a good life, and according to these directors of the Harvard Study of Adult Development, which is the longest scientific study of happiness ever conducted. It's been going on for 84 years, and it's still going on. Isn't that insane? That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. So they say that the answer, the answer, as in one, not plural, the answer to this question may surprise us. Do you want me to tell you? Of course. Give me the skinny. What is it? Is it? I don't know. Is it? What is it? it? One thing. One thing that does what? The one thing 
that they say makes for a happy life, a good life. Is it resilience? No, it's relationships. Relationships. Okay. Yes. Relationships, yes, yes. Mm-hmm. which is not what I would have thought. Now that is over and above diet and exercise. And it's, oh, yeah. this is what they're saying. This is it. And what they, what <laughs> they look at. What? I'm so happy right now because I'm like, oh, I have good relationships. Like, I'm going gonna, gonna to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> they, the book told be. me, the study said, I'm going to live a happy life. <laughs> you are going to have a, uh, you are going to have a more fulfilling life, <sighs> most likely. I think the good thing to think about with this is, is to look at it as fulfilling because happy is so, yeah, yeah. It, it can be off-putting. It can be like hard to quantify, but think of it as fulfilling. So what they do is they look at and they talk about in this book, the how and the why and the what the heck are we talking about when we talk about how our connections with other people influence not only our happiness, but our bodies and our minds, our brains. If that at all interests you, which it really truly should interest all of us, there's something that you will learn that you will take away from this book. I promise. It's told in a really engaging, not dry manner. The narrators are both the study people, and they're really good at narrating their findings. They look at relationships in all of their forms. They're going to talk about friendships, romantic partnerships, families, co-workers, people you might be, uh, like book clubs, any type of group, anything like this. How does it contribute to a healthier life? And what happens when people or, or in what I learned from this book, an entire society suffers from loneliness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I learned quite a lot and I won't, I'll just leave it to you to find out in the book, but there is an entire country that is suffering from loneliness so much that they have appointed a minister of loneliness to tackle loneliness. Like, isn't that, and and it makes sense after COVID, right? Loneliness increased and all of that. I really recommend this book. I I really loved it. I learned a lot. If you want to get a taste of maybe what to expect in this book, you can pull up Dr. Waldinger's TED Talk about the Harvard study, and it's called What Makes a Good Life. It has been viewed more than 42 million times, and it's one of the 10 most watched TED Talks ever. So if you watch that and you you want to hear more, you want to know more, then this book would be a great way to follow up that TED Talk. So that is The Good Life, Lessons from the World's Longest Scientific Study of Happiness by Robert Waldinger and Mark Schultz. I am proud of you for reading more nonfiction. Like, this is, this was your goal. I wanted to read more nonfiction. And, and yes. it's just a question of when to bring it, you know, when to bring them to the show. I just finished that. And what a good book. I don't know. I just feel Mm -hmm. like there's certain nonfiction books that everyone could benefit from and take, even if you just take one or two things from it. And this is so like current because he talks about, they talk about cell phones and social media and the, you know, the physical looking at your phone when you are in, you know, a group. We all do it, right? Yeah. 
And it's it's fascinating. So, you know, if you ever pay attention, like when you go out to a restaurant and you see an entire family and they're all looking at their phones, mm-hmm. they're out to dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, they talk about things like that and it, it's very current and relevant. Got it. Yeah. That's good to know. All right. Well, good. So for today, we were kind of batting back and forth some ideas for book talk and landed on... <laughs> kind of funny. What publishers say to get us to read something. So that's sort of where our head was at. And what we mean by that, obviously, you know, we do a lot of research about new releases. Every month we release a books on the radar. So we're always trying to narrow down, okay, what are four of the books that we're the most excited to read for this particular upcoming month? And I was thinking too, there's kind of two different things. There's book comparisons that they'll do. So they'll say specific books like, oh, if you liked, you know, for if you liked The Measure, you should read The Last White Man because like they both have, you know, these speculative themes in it. So they'll compare two specific Mm -hmm. titles or they'll just say a general blanket. This book is for fans of Stephen King. And we were, okay, so that's what we sort of mean by comparisons. And so we were trying to decide what, why do publishers use them and what the purpose is? Right. I have to pop in here because you inspired this. I mean, I have, I have been wanting to talk about book comps, book comparisons for a while because I don't know if I trust them. And I keep, and so I put that in our list that you and I keep like, let's talk about it. And then you, which our listeners need to know, you have a hoppin' TikTok going on. So if anyone is on TikTok, you have to go follow Tina. She's at TBR, et cetera, on TikTok. You just posted a fun video um, for fans of. Yeah. And that's what you, and you talked about when publishers say for fans of, Mm -hmm. how does that get us? And so that's why we're combining. Well, is, is it the same thing? Is it different? Book com- book comparisons and when we hear mm-hmm. for fans of. Yeah. So I was thinking that. And I think when I hear, if you compare this book to another book, I want it to be pretty similar. Like I gen, not necessarily in content, but I'm going to need it to be, if you like A, you'll like B. If Mm -hmm. you say, for fans of Stephen King, that's more of a vibe. Like, I kind of know what I'm getting. I keep using Stephen King. Obviously, there's more authors. (laughs) That's just one I see thrown around a lot. But that's more of a vibe. That gives me more of a feeling, more of a genre. And I might know less about the plot. But if you're comparing a specific book to a, a previous book that we're all familiar with, I'm going to need it to be pretty close. For example, one we saw for like 10 years was for fans of Gone Girl. Mm hmm. And I still am enticed. I will still look. But what are we looking for when they compare it to Gone Girl? For me, it's a big twist. Mm -hmm. It's probably a complicated partnership. And at some point, there's going to be a big twist. And if I don't get those things, I'm going to be disappointed. Right. That will always get me also. I guess I wanted to know your thoughts too on, do you think this is a marketing tool from publishers strictly for marketing? Or do you think it's something that they use to help readers connect with books? I don't, I'm thinking it's marketing, right? I'm thinking it's marketing. I don't know that it is really for readers at all. At least when it comes to like what's 
printed on Amazon or what's printed on the the jacket of the book or whatever. Like that, I think is more to like that's marketing, right? That's to sell books, mm-hmm. and and I can't really blame them for that. Like I understand, like that's kind of their purpose. Now, here's what I will say: I try to be very thoughtful when I do because I like to in my reviews compare books, but when I'm doing that, that's for Obviously, that's for readers. I want mm-hmm. readers to know the type of experience they're going to get when they're picking up that book. I don't, you know, you can rent it, rent it. <laughs> you can borrow it from the library, get it however you want. Obviously, I don't care as much about like the marketing of it. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm doing it more on an individual level. Like, hey, I'm talking to you, reader. If you liked this, you might like that. Whereas I think, obviously, publishers, they're trying to sell titles. And I think that's one way to do it is to compare it to titles that sold well that we're familiar with as readers. Right. So do you think it's fair to a debut author or a lesser known book, which seems to be, it seems to happen a lot with debuts where they're getting, they're getting a comparison to maybe, like you said, a book that was more popular that we all know about that sold really well. Is it fair to set them up with a book comparison, I see it as good or bad. I guess I see it both sides of the coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it both ways because, okay, if it's a debut and we don't know anything about the author other than it's a debut, or maybe we know a little bit about the author, but it's like, what else could they add to get readers to pick this one up versus all mm-hmm. the other books that are out there? So I don't really mind it. I feel like over the years, I've become really good at picking up books for myself and like I can see fluff for what it is. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I think it was Katie at Basic Bees who had the funniest little thing in her Instagram story. I wish I could remember the book, but she basically picked up the book and looked at the quotes on the back and it was literally like AI had written it. It was just like a tour de force, a captivating read. Like it was nonsense. Like, <laughs> But they were using it to like try and sell this book. So for me, I feel like I've become better as a reader to say, okay, they're comparing it to Olive Kittredge. Hmm. Is it really going to be like that? I'm less offended, right? If mm-hmm. I fall for that. Whereas if I'm a newer reader or, you know, back when we weren't putting so much research into it, I think I would be more pissed because like I'm only reading, you know, 20 books a year. And I'm like, dang it. I thought I was getting another yeah. Gone Girl. And instead I got this. Yes, I know. I think it is amazing when it works out. And the book lives up to the comp. But if not, it's so disappointing. You know what I'm more disappointed by is if if it's mismarketed in terms of genre. So if you tell me it's a thriller and I go in and it's literary mystery, I'm going to be like, I came in expecting a thriller. Like I was in Mm -hmm. the mood to have twists. I was in the mood to be, you know, played with a little bit. I'm wanting to see some red herrings. Whereas you told it, you said it's a thriller. Now I'm going to have to be patient with it. And that's not what I signed up for. So I get a little more, not annoyed, but like bummed out by that because you think it's going to be one thing and then it's another. But that's the same thing if you compare it to fans of this or compare it, Mm -hmm. you know, to other books. So Okay. So for you, what book comp or for fans of will get you every time when you hear it? For me, I love... (laughs) Friends did something bad as kids, but come back together as adults for a reckoning. I don't know what that's called, but boy, oh boy, those are my some of my very, very favorite 
books. Like if I see that's going to happen and there's a lot of them, like now that I've identified that subgenre, I see a lot of them. So if I hear that's going to be part of the theme I'm in, (laughs) gut-wrenching. Like if I Mm -hmm. hear if it's like gut-wrenching, I'm definitely going to be curious. If I hear we follow characters over like the two... I only want to follow a few people, but like two characters over the span of 30 years. I'm like, awesome. Mm -hmm. Podcast, true crime. I've been really uh, tempted by, I think I'm going to burn out on that here in a bit on the podcast tie-in, but I'm still kind of into it. And I also really like based on a true story. Although I don't know that that's a, I mean, if that, it, it has to be true, right? Right. But I do like when it's based on a true story. Yeah, same. What are yours? Okay, mine. Well, we both said go, Gone Girl. We will yeah. be both still. I have some titles. Um, okay. Because I don't mm-hmm. know if you've read the books, I guess you will know. But, and, and I, maybe you can help me pinpoint what it is about these books. But if I hear for fans of Mystic River by Dennis Lee Hain, I will automatically read it. If I hear for fans of The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, I will read it. One Day by David Nichols. And a lot of romance, like, I would say romance, contemporary fiction involving two people who are like star-crossed lovers or just can't, you know, keep missing their connections. A lot of stories like that get compared to One Day. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I've not found one that, that lives up to what One Day was. But I will always be tempted if it's compared. Um, I'll be tempted if something is compared to The Nightingale by Kristen Hanna. Really? I didn't know you were such a fan of that one. I love that book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, I love that. And in the future, I know it's going to be coming one day in the future. We're going to have to give it some time. But anytime something will ever be compared to Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, I know I I will be all over it. It, Uh That's all I will need to hear. Is, yeah. And I know it, you know, like give it a year or two and we're going to see yeah. comparisons to Demon Copperhead. Yeah. You forgot yeah. your biggie. A little life. A little life. I thought about that, but I, I, you don't I think don't it could think be I done. see many comparisons to a little life or mm-hmm. do you? So maybe I'm wrong. I couldn't think of any, so I didn't include it. Ah, uh, okay. I've or, seen do it. Do you know of anyone who says for fans of a little life? I don't yeah. know because that's a, I've, feel like I've seen it, but could I tell you examples? Absolutely not. Like I, that is just one that's so, but also like that's, you're swinging. It's a big swing. If a publisher so is going to say that. Yeah. I almost feel like if I saw that, I wouldn't trust it. Yeah. But I well, would then love, I would, I want to know. Tackle. I know, I, I know, know, I want to know. My one big one, and I don't see it as much anymore, but for fans of An American Marriage by Terry Jones, yeah. Brigham A, I loved that book so much. I love the concept. I actually, I'm excited. I just, I'm going to read one for our next episode. I found one and I'm like, oh my God, how have I not thought of this book? Like this is the original. American Marriage is kind of based oh. on this sort of. Okay. Oh, you're mm-hmm. really teasing us now. Is there any titles that you were here, big titles, that make you say, okay, I am absolutely not going to read that based on the comparisons. Addie LaRue and okay. The Midnight Library. No, thank you, please. I'm gone. I don't want either of those or Circe, even though I've never read it. I don't want mythology. I just, I don't want to keep it. Okay. What's the full title of Addie LaRue? I always forget. The, the Invisible Life of Addie LaRue. 
Well, Tina and I greatly disagree on this book because I loved it. And if I see a book that says shades of, vibes of, similar to, it doesn't matter. If I see it says The Invisible Life of Addie LaRue, I will read it. And you obviously will steer clear. And it's perfect if they do that because I'm like, oh, great. That's a Renee. Like, I'm all good. (laughs) We Uh don't have to fight for that one. Right. I also love The Midnight Library, too. So, I mean— those two I will run towards and you will run away from. Yeah. What are your okay, runaway I'm, books? I'm going to run away from anything that says it's similar to Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. <gasps> I, I loved Eleanor. Mm-hmm. Fire. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to run far away. Um, or A Man Called Uwe by Frederick oh. Bachman. I'm also going to run. And those get compared to a lot. And and I actually appreciate, I mean, I kind of appreciate if I see that because I'm just automatically like, nope, that book is not going to yeah, be for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's helpful. You know, mm-hmm. it, it really can be helpful. It can be. Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, for sure. I feel like they use Eleanor Oliphant a lot and it's like almost shorthand for like a quirky character. And I'm like, you're not getting the essence of Eleanor, okay? There's more to it. So yeah. anyway. I I take umbrage sometimes because I feel like that one's overused. (laughs) I do agree. It's overused. You said the seven and a half husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Mm -hmm. Have you ever found one? I don't think so. I think, and I think what I really liked about that book is, is having a character in present day that is so intriguing, Mm -hmm. but then you also get such a fascinating, compelling backstory to follow. Yeah. And and oh and set over time. I think we could I think the Heart's Invisible Furies could be yes. could yes. be a, right like a a good book comp with the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo as far as following a character over time, but it's it's a different type of story. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad though. The vibes are are there. I love both of those. So, that's not bad. Yeah. Do you have any for <sighs> Evelyn Hugo? No, I don't. I would love okay. some. <laughs> if anybody has some, <laughs> let us know. I also see Daisy Jones and the Six a lot as for fans of any book that has a band in it, like that's sort of the comp mm. that they go to, which is okay. It's fair. I get that that was a really popular one. Yeah. Well, th- I don't know. Those are good. That's fun to think about. Mm-hmm. I guess I guess for me, I'm still going to be pulled in by a publisher's book comp, although yeah. I'm a little more skeptical. And I prefer to have my trusted sources, like people on Instagram, other podcasters. I'm more inclined to pay closer attention when they say that something is for fans of or or give some book um, comparisons. 100% agree. Because again, we're not trying Mm -hmm. to really market anything necessarily. We're not getting paid by and large to say, oh, I loved this book. We're just recommending it because we loved it. And we like to use that as a way to tell our listeners or the people that are following us, you know, hey, you might like this if. Exactly. Exactly. That was fun. I was like, huh, I didn't know that I had that much to say. It's so funny you mentioned my little video because I just sat down. I was like, oh, you know what I'm thinking about? Like, I put no planning into that literally whatsoever. I didn't even go grab the books off my shelf. I was just like, huh, I have a question. And like, it turned into be some really good dialogue. So that was really yeah. fun. No, that uh, was great. All right. Well, let me tell you about the first book that I read. So again, if you're newer to this, we're going to do this regularly. It's our easily distracted by new releases episode 
And we're actually making a slight shift. We're going to make it the second Tuesday of the month when we do these. That'll give us enough time to get the audio copies for some of these new books. So just no one cares. But in case anyone's wondering, (laughs) I had to dig deep. I DNF'd nine books in January. A lot of them were January releases. So I had to go back to very late November for my first book. And it was great. It's the world record book of racist stories by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. You might recognize their names. Amber Ruffin is a TV writer and Lacey Lamar is her sister, but they also wrote the book, You'll Never Believe What Happened to Lacey. So Amber Ruffin's a comedian and her sister is just as funny. And gosh, what they do so well is bring these anecdotes that literally have happened to them. Both of them grew up in Omaha. Lacey is still there and Amber works in New York, but they just share these absurd stories of things that people say to them. They think it's okay to say to them. And now they've actually brought in some more intergenerational stories because they interviewed their siblings and their parents. And so it was really, really interesting to get the perspective of the, you know, racist things that they talked about that they've experienced from microaggressions all the way to very, very serious things and compare that to like the things that their parents went through. You just see a lot of parallels and you think, okay, Yep, that wasn't that long ago. Got it. And so basically, it, I did this one on audio. I think that is the way to go for this one. It's super short. And what they do, they narrate it. And it's kind of almost like a podcast. This is more of like a book of essays because they awarded these different little uh, superlatives. So most racist boss most racist teacher. And they like tell the little story about what happened and they just do a really good job with narrating. Although I will say I like the print copy as well because Mm -hmm. they give you little pictures of like, I don't know how to describe it. It's, I don't know if I've read anything like this, but it really reads a little bit. It's almost like a podcast, right? It's like family stories. And I don't want to minimize the impact that this book has because Sometimes I think there are people in my life that I'd like love to give this book to be like, no, no, like read these stories. (laughs) It's a funny book. Mm -hmm. It really is funny. But like also you'll learn a little bit too while you're reading it. So I would say if you want a book that does tackle racism, but with authors that don't really take themselves too seriously, but still give you the real life experiences that they went through, I think this is a great pick got great reviews. And again, I would recommend the audio just because they're so funny to listen to. I also like their first book. So either one, you can't go wrong. This was the World Record Book of Racist Stories by Amber Ruffin and Lacey Lamar. All right, great. And that does sound like it would be good on audio. Yeah, it was great on audio. I was like cackling with some of these stories. And again, you feel, I'm like, why am I laughing? They just have this knack for just sharing the absurd things that happened to them. My favorite story involves Lacey going into a department store and this woman basically saying, no, you work here. And Lacey's like, I do not work here. But there was a woman up front who was another black woman with an Afro. And so the woman was like, no, literally you work here. She was arguing with Lacey to make her say that she works there. And so the the woman, they find each other at the end of the story and they take a photo together. And it's just so like, they just have a sense of humor about things because yeah, you kind of have to. Anyway. Right. Okay. Oh, good. All right. My first new release is Reef Road by Deborah Goodrich Royce. You're kidding me. You are kidding. I do not say that's your second book. No, it's not my second book. Uh-uh. Oh. <laughs> no, 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 no. I wow. Tell me about it. I just found this book today and I was like, oh, put a hold on it immediately. Oh, okay. 
Well, you might not. I don't know if you remember, Tina, but I brought a book by her to our very first episode of Criminally Booked. I do and remember it was, that. It yes. was called Finding Mrs. Ford. I had never even heard of Deborah Goodrich Royce. I did not watch All My Children. I was a CBS soap opera watcher, but she was an actress on All My Children. She's not. Really? Yes, she was. Yes, oh, yes, no she was. She is now an, turned to novel writing. And I absolutely loved Finding Mrs. Ford. That was one of my favorite books last summer. This one, Reef Road, I was able to get the audio and Saskia Marleveld, my very, oh, one of my very favorite My girl, I love narrators, her. Love her. She narrates, so you know you're in good hands. It opens when a severed hand washes ashore in a wealthy area of Palm Beach, Florida. Pretty soon after this happens, would consider that kind of the prologue of the story, you find out that the lives of two women, a lonely writer obsessed with the unsolved murder of her mother's best friend years ago, and a panicked wife whose husband has disappeared with their children, both their lives will collide as the pandemic shuts down a lot of things in 2020. Now, the two women. First, you have a young woman. Her family goes missing. So her husband and her children go missing. Obviously, there's going to be a lot going on with that storyline. Then you have a writer. For a long time, the writer is unnamed. And she lives alone with her dog, and she collects very specific murder statistics. She's researching. She's writing a book. The question is, what do each of them stand to lose as they sneak around to keep their secrets from being exposed when, of course, there's plenty of drama and plenty of people working to expose said secrets? In this story, there is a big nod to true crime and the journalists and the writer, true crime writers who inspired it. There's also a big nod to crime writers. And when I say there's a nod, sprinkled throughout the story, there are very fun Easter eggs. And if you read true crime or you know it or follow it and you read crime fiction, you're going to catch the Easter eggs. And that was really a fun part of the story. Now, like I said, this story alternates between these two women with the pandemic being a part of it. The question is, obviously, really, whose hand washed up? How does it involve these women? How do they connect? What's going on? Also, where is that woman's family? And how did they go missing? How, if anything, how does she get them back? So you have a lot going on in this story as far as dual, a little bit of a dual mystery and whether or not they eventually connect. The story is inspired by the author's own mother's best friend who was murdered in Pittsburgh in 1948. The backstory to the murder that she's fascinated with in the story also happened in 1948. So I like like when you said, too, that things are inspired by something. I, this is a really odd book to review because her writing is great. This was really, truly a bingeable story. It's very bingeable, but I felt it like it was very disjointed and it was a bit chaotic. And I don't have a, I, I listen to a lot of books, a lot of mysteries on audio. I usually don't have a problem keeping track of what's going on. But this one, I kept having to go back and re-listen to parts. 
there was confusing and abrupt shifts in perspective, often without context. So I had a problem with that. Maybe it would have been better in in print if I was visually looking at it, but I, I struggled with that on audio. I also thought that the plot resolutions, some of them made no sense. And I and I can't say anything about that. I don't want to give spoilers, but I'm not quite sure about where I landed with that. And really, truly, if you think that you don't want to read a pandemic book, I have to say the fact that the pandemic plays a role in the story, it felt completely insignificant to me, almost to the point where I thought, I don't even know why she included this because it really didn't affect the character's motivations, like short of them wearing a mask. I don't know, (laughs) which... To me, if the pandemic was taken out of this story, it would have made no difference to the story. Mm-hmm. So I think that might be helpful for people to know who think like, oh, I don't want to read about the pandemic. It really, in my opinion, it was insignificant to the story. So I don't know. I landed unsure about, like I binged it and I enjoyed it, but I still have many issues with it. I would recommend finding Mrs. Ford over Mm -hmm. this. If you were going to do one or the other, I would say go with Finding Mrs. Ford. But overall, an enjoyable afternoon binge listen, I guess. It's Reef Road by Deborah Goodrich Royce. That's too funny. Yeah, I literally found that book this morning. But now I'm kind of like, oh, well, you vetted it for me. I sound like I can, you know, wait a little bit. I'm not clamoring to read it like I might have. So you did a good job sharing it. Well, thanks. It's hard to talk about without... Mm -hmm to say what didn't work for me because I can't say what didn't work for me. But I had high expectations too because Finding Mrs. Ford was so good. Yes. Well, let me tell you about a mystery thriller that worked so well for me. It's What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall. And this one came out on January 17th. I initially did not think much of it. It It looked like a book I had seen before. It was a book of the month pick and nothing about it really grabbed me until I heard that, well, until I heard that the girls were liars. That's what got me. I was like, wait, skirt? What? (laughs) Hold on. You can't say, wait. Okay. So here's what it's about. This is a thriller and it's about friendship, secrets, betrayal, and lies and about having the courage to face the past. You've got three friends, Naomi, Cassidy, and Olivia. They're very different from one another and they used to believe in magic. They grew up together, and they had the best time making up games in the woods until their innocence was lost. A gruesome act of violence in the woods leaves Naomi fighting for her life after being stabbed 17 times. And obviously her friends were in the woods with her, witnessed it, and they are now also traumatized. But she survives and was able to identify the man who had hurt her and the girl's testimony. So her testimony and that of her two friends put away this serial killer. And he was also wanted for murdering six other women. And these young girls became heroes, but they were also lying about something. And it flashes forward decades ahead. And that's, you know, what I love. And you figure out one of the friends is ready to tell the truth. She's ready to come clean. And one of the other friends is not about that life. And so you're kind of there like, wait a minute, what really happened? What did you lie about? Like, who saw what? There were so many twists and turns in this book. I was on the edge of my seat. Once I got past the initial kind of setup, 
I could not wait. I literally did a 45 minute run on the treadmill and listened to this book (laughs) and was like, I'm good. I don't need to stop. Like, I just have to find out what happened. If you, like me, were a weird little girl who grew up pretending to be a witch, who like could cast spells and stuff and like had all these like, you know, Ouija boards and herbs and things. You'll liked this. The craft was big when I was a kid. That was like the big movie. So my friends and I like loved like witches and stuff. And these little girls very much had that kind of nostalgic element to me. I don't love when there's two timelines, but I thought the author did this so well. The story is mainly in the present day. And when the flashbacks were introduced, they were added with intent and they were used sparingly, which I love. I hate spending too much time back in the day if it's not furthering the story. I was never bored. There were plenty of red herrings. I had a couple guesses. Some were right. Some were not right. And there were some absolute shocker moments to the point where I had to text my friend who was also reading it. Like, wait a minute, this this can't happen. Did I read this wrong? Am I hearing this incorrectly? Because I just was like, what? And one of the friends of the show, Genevieve, was reading it at the same time too. So she and I were blowing up our Discord, hiding the spoilers. Like, wait, da-da-da-da-da. Wait, da So it was really fun to have that experience. So you will want to read this with a friend. I think this would be great for book club. However, this would be great for a dark book club because it is, I mean, there's a lot of darkness to this. Don't get me wrong. I loved our main character, Naomi. She was awesome. There's also a little bit of queer representation in it, which I, again, always give a thumbs up to. Honestly, this is a five-star read for me. This is one of the best thrillers I've read in recent memory, and I'm still buzzing. I added it to my book of the month box for February because I was like, I need a copy of this. So this gets a high stamp from me. It's What Lies in the Woods by Kate Alice Marshall. Yeah, I've got to have to squeeze that in at some point. Yeah. Oh, and you'll squeeze it in. It's it's not a short, but it's like, you know, standard 350, but like mm-hmm. you don't feel the length, at least in my opinion. Okay. It's been, it's binge worthy, it sounds like. Yes. Okay, good. All right. My next new release is one that you just heard me mention last week as a current read. I said I would be bringing it back and here it is. It's The House of Eve by Sadiqla Johnson. I listened to this. I think I was about 30% in when I brought it as the um, as my current read. I love this book. So this was the story of the two girls, Ruby and Eleanor. And it takes place in 1950s Philadelphia and in Washington, D.C. So really quickly, you have Ruby is 15, and she's in Philadelphia, and she is on track to become the first in her family to attend college, in spite of having a mother who is more interested in keeping a man than raising a daughter. Ruby is an excellent student, and she was chosen to be part of a program called We Rise, which is to assist underprivileged students with post-high school plans. And when I say Ruby was dedicated, she was so dedicated to going to college. She wanted to become an ophthalmologist so that she could help her grandma, who was blind. And I mean, you will feel for Ruby. What happens is a taboo love affair between Ruby and and a boy, and that threatens to pull her back down into poverty and desperation, which is not at all where she wants to be or where she was heading. So then you have Eleanor, and Eleanor arrives in Washington, D.C. with ambition and secrets. When she gets there, she meets William Pride at Howard University, and they fall in love. However, William is from 
one of D.C.'s elite wealthy black families, and his parents don't approve of Eleanor. We find out pretty quickly that Eleanor hopes that a baby will finally bring her and William and his family together. So it's these two girls' stories set over time. The question is, how do their stories end up colliding? We get a front row seat to the unexpected ways in which they might collide. So Ruby and Eleanor both make decisions that will affect the rest of their life. And we get to, as the reader, see how that unfolds. This was a compelling coming-of-age historical fiction story. The characters were richly drawn. Both storylines I was equally invested in, and that just does not happen often. So as with all stories that are focused on the lives of characters, this takes a little bit of time to get to know each of the girls. Not to get into the story, It takes time to get to know the girls because these are, they're not short chapters, which I actually really appreciated because you get to know Ruby before you get to know Eleanor. I actually really love that, but I want, I want listeners to know, allow yourself time to take in the setting details, the writing, the lives of each of the girls. So just don't pick this up if you're in the mood for fast paced binge read or a thriller. But do pick this up if you want a compelling character-driven story that you're not going to be able to put down. I was drawn in quickly because the author created a situation for Ruby that made me feel for her, connect with her, root for her, and then be worried about her. And that is exactly how I am going to stay invested in a story. I love that in a character-driven story. Then she turned around and did the same thing with Eleanor. I loved reading about each of the girls' lives. The author confronted historical truths, and as hard as they were to read about and as shocking as they were, she combined them with stories of love and resilience and hope. And I have to say, I initially, when I finished, I gave this, I initially gave it 4.5 stars because I wanted more in terms of more pages. (laughs) more information, and more details with respect to a particular section of the book. But the more I think about it, the more I think I would raise that to five stars because I loved it from start to finish. And wanting more is actually the sign of a really good story. So I think I think initially I was being a little too hard on just the fact that I wanted more. Um, I love this book, so I highly recommend it. It's The House of Eve by Sadiqa Johnson, and I listened to that on audio. Yay, I want to read that book, too. Uh, we're mm-hmm. always doing this to each other. I know. It's kind of a downside of not bringing the same book. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, but that's all right. I, I love it. Oh, my gosh. When I think back, this is, what, our 88th episode, something like that? How many books we have individually recommended to the listeners? I mean, that's a lifetime's that's worth a of, of reading. <laughs> I, I know. I swear. I I thought the other day, I can't remember what book it was, but I was, oh, I know what book it is. I, it's the Rebecca Mackay that's coming out. And I know, I know you really want to read that. And then I thought, well, how, so, okay, how mad, like, how mad will Tina be if I read it too? We both bring the same book. punch you right in the face. Uh, no, but, but then I thought, how, like, literally I had that same thought. How crazy is it that we've managed to really, truly go this long without, other than Spare, 
Which that Other was planned. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. planned. But it's crazy that that's a lot of individual books. Even though you and I do overlap, we've with our we taste. Not to, and we try not to tell each other what we're reading. So it's really, it's crazy. Spooky. The I universe. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a shelf edition that you might be tempted by. I, I do think you might be. This has some of my buzzy little words in it. And it's a buzzy. It's an author I love. We're getting new Lisa Jewell. It's called None of This is True. comes out on August 8th, 2023. And Lisa Joel is one of my very favorite psychological thriller, crime, mystery, whatever writers. This one is a book about a woman who finds herself the subject of her own popular true crime podcast. That literally was enough for me, but I'll Mm -hmm. tell you a little bit more in case you need it. And you have Alex Summers, who's celebrating her 45th birthday at a local pub. And she crosses paths with an unassuming woman called Josie Fair. Josie, as it turns out, is also celebrating her 45th birthday. That means they're birthday twins. A few days later, Alex and Josie bump into each other again, this time outside Alex's children's school. Josie has been listening to Alex's podcast and thinks she might be an interesting subject for her series. She is um, on the cusp of great changes in her life. So something's up. And I love when you're immediately like, "Is it, this can't be coincidence. What's up with Josie? And Alex finds her unsettling. She can't resist the temptation to keep making her podcast, but she starts to realize that Josie indeed does have some pretty dark secrets. And before she knows it, Josie has warmed her way into Alex's life and into her home. And then Josie disappears all of a sudden, and only then does Alex discover that Josie has left a terrible legacy in her wake. Alex becomes a subject of her own true crime podcast, and her life and her family's lives are under mortal threat. I am so excited to find out who Josie Fair was. I want to know what she did, and I love Lisa Jewell. So this one is None of This is True by Lisa Jewell, and it comes out in August. Okay. Yeah, I want to read that for sure. We must be on a summer wavelength because my shelf edition also comes out this summer. It is Prom Mom by Laura Lippman. Comes out July 25th. Yes. I know. I like her too. Okay. This sounds so good. This is about Amber Glass. As an adult, she has spent her life putting distance between her hometown of Baltimore, where it sounds like she fled really quickly after she graduated high school because she was known as quote-unquote prom mom because she was the girl who allegedly killed her baby on the night of the prom after her date, Joe Simpson, abandoned her to pursue the girl he really liked. But of course, circumstances have brought Amber back to Baltimore, and she realizes that she can have a second chance. However, In order to do that, she has to stay away from Joe, who is now a successful commercial real estate developer. He is married to a plastic surgeon named Meredith, and he is devoted to her. But if you know Laura Littman, you know that's just the tip of the iceberg because the problem is Amber can't stay away from Joe. And Joe finds it very hard to ignore Amber because she remembers him as the boy that he was, And she knew him when he was young. And she knew the man that he wanted to be. This is the part I'm not quite sure about. Against the backdrop of 2020 and 2021, which tells me it might involve the pandemic, the two 
of them, Joe and Amber, are slowly drawn to each other and eventually cross the line they've been trying not to cross. And then Joe ends up asking Amber to help him do the unthinkable. When I read that sentence, a certain book popped into my mind. Don't ask me. I don't know. Okay. (laughs) Well, when Joe asked Amber to do the unthinkable, I immediately thought of The Kind Worth Killing by Peter Swan. Ah, yes, yes, yes. That's a good one. Okay. There's a book comp for you. I don't know if it's going to be true, but that's what I thought of. And now I cannot wait to find out what is happening with Joe and Amber and what did he ask her to do. So that is Prom Mom by Laura Lippman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's another book you can comp. You're probably not going to get it, but like, I'm going to be tempted. I know. And that's why they get us. They, they know they know how to play us and it works every time. I'm surprised they didn't comp it to that. I, well, I mean, Laura Lippman doesn't necessarily need a comp. No. Yes, that's true. She's a very, but, very established crime writer. Like, she's really yes, good. She is really good. And so, trust in, in this is going to be a good story. I'm almost positive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the word I was looking up is inveigle. Inveigle. Have you ever heard of it? Mm-mm. I know. And it Never. means... I know. It means to do something by means of deception or flattery. Inveigle. Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Anywho, well, learned something new. That's it for today. We thank you for spending a part of your day with us. Links to all the books mentioned can be found in the show notes. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can help us by following us wherever you listen and by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us get our show out to new listeners and grows our audience. And don't forget, if you would like access to exclusive bonus content, join us for $5 a month on patreon.com slash booktalk, etc. Feedback and questions about the show can be sent to booktalketc at gmail.com. You can also connect with us both at booktalketc on Instagram, Tina at TBR, etc. And me, Renee, at It's Book Talk. Talk to you next week. In the meantime, remember, everything's better with books. And before she knows it, Josie's in veil. What the hell word is this? Inveigled? What the hell? Invigorated? Uh-uh. I-N-V-E-I-G-L-E-D. Inveigled? Finagled? Anyway, I'll change. <laughs> this is the point where I get slap happy. Okay. <laughs>